There's no take two. There's no just a little more purple. Warts and all, you've downloaded the VO Radio Show. Welcome to the final VO Radio Show for 2015. Andrew Peters here in Melbourne, up in Sydney, is Robbo. How are you, AP? I'm very well, and you? I'm really well, thank you. It's Christmas time. How can things not be good, right? Well, if your sack is full, then it's a good thing. (laughs) But yes, it is our Christmas end-of-year special, and uh, we do have a special guest for the whole show, and uh, this is a good one for people like myself, who sits on the other side of the glass, working from a home studio. Uh, We'll get a few good tips from the people who know and uh, of course Robbo being one of them being an audio engineer our guest today apart from being an audio engineer is also one of the owners of Source Elements and currently we're using Source Connect now it is Robert Marshall g'day to you hello how's Chicago is it windy global warming is taking over it's it's a nice summer over here um, it, it finally got a little bit cold today but um, it's strangely warm actually <laughs> that's bizarre now, we, uh, as well as using Source Connect, we're also using another neat little piece of software on my end because we're recording here in my studio uh, called Source Nexus. Do you want to run us through that quickly? Sure. So, so Nexus is a, what we call an application audio router. So it's allowing you to take the audio out of Chrome, which is what Source Connect now runs on, and feed it directly into Pro Tools and also take the audio out of Pro Tools and feed it back into Chrome. So um, it makes it a lot like um, Source Connect Standard and Source Connect Pro, which do operate as plugins. But effectively, Source Connect now can turn basically any application into a plugin for Pro Tools or Cubase, Nuendo, you know, VST and AU-driven applications as well. Um, and so in your case, the way we have it set up so that we're hooked up in stereo, you're actually able to record me on a separate track from Andrew from, from you. So yeah, you can right. have a discrete recording of the full interview. All on the one Source Connect Now session, which is a very neat trick, can I just say. Can I, can I ask you just quickly, what inspired you to start Source Elements? Oh boy. So I, my, my background is as a sound design mix engineer, um, mainly working on TV spots. Doing that, we were always doing ISDN sessions. Um, and so that was in the um, middle and late 90s. You know, we'd finish work and go get a beer and talk about stuff. And one of the things that would come up was how crazy expensive ISDN was. And the studio that I was working at was very busy and there was um, thousand and multi-thousand dollar ISDN bills. And so I was fresh out of college and i'm like why can't you do this over the internet isdn's only 128k and we have this massive t1 line with 1.5 megabits and um after talking about it enough um i I, I did some proof of concepts and proved that you could stream audio over the internet we had actually looked for some programming resources and we'd gotten various quotes a lot of them were awfully expensive um and then a good friend of mine, Rebecca, was in town, and we were getting another beer <laughs> and uh, telling her about this thing I want to make. And, and she, uh, you know, she's a great musician, but she, she has a, a background in programming as well. And she kind of listened to the whole idea and went, oh, yeah, I can do that, or we can do that. And it wouldn't be that expensive. And she, she was able to basically put together a team and manage the, um, the project and actually get a first beta version. Um, of course, it wasn't as inexpensive as first predicted, but you know, maybe that was the thing that we needed to, even in the first place, just put our money on the table and start the project. And so that's how it started. Um, and that was, I believe, around 2004. Very early 2005, we released the first version of Source Connect. Mm. How, did you, how did you go uh, raising capital to uh, get the business going? So it was, it was funded um, at that time by... Myself and a lot of the, um, the the partners who were at the uh, the post house um, that I had been working at at the time. So uh, that that's called the, the place is called Cutters. It's, it's a great place. Um, they now have several international locations, and so the we, we discussed it and we had a, a vision for what this could be, and it was basically privately funded. So 2004, you started the company. It, it, is it, if you've noticed that in the last few years, it's tended to take off more than in the beginning in terms of downloads of your product and sales of your products, because it, it seems that 
the last couple of years has really seen a, a massive increase in the amount of people running home studios. Yeah, I'd say so. There's there's been kind of a couple of bumps. The the initial push was was definitely very tough. Um, I think that when we started Source Elements, that was also around the first year that Skype showed up as well. Right. I think the internet was barely ready for this kind of thing. It was able to be run by studios who had really good internet connections, who had a staff that could manage the internet connection properly. But initially, when the home voice talents were trying to use the application, if your internet wasn't really up to snuff, it often led to a bad experience. Um, And then I'd say right around maybe 2008, there was a significant uptick in the quality of the internet and things began working a lot better. And then the uptake in the software got a lot better and things really moved up and up and up from there. I mean, actually in the whole history of the company, there was only one down year, which actually was 2008, but that was more because of the whole financial downturn. Yeah. And then moving forward and especially in the more recent years, um, the demise of ISDN, you know, we kind of knew what was going to happen, but there was no proof. It was just a, a hunch that it, this can't last. This is old technology. There's m- much better ways to do this. Um, and then the most recent years now, the you know at least in the U.S., um, a lot of the the major carriers, the telephone carriers, have pretty much denounced that they're getting rid of it. Um, and some of them are very aggressively, purposely moving the prices way up to basically force people to drop their lines voluntarily. And then other carriers in the U.S. are saying things like. If you drop your line, you won't get a new one and no new lines. And, you know, um, it's, it's a lot harder to get ISDN lines and because of the costs. And so there's a whole nother push to move towards IP. And, and so we've been definitely on the forefront of, of like IP solutions, mainly for post-production. It's interesting because when I f- saw Source Connect first, I, uh, I, be- I stumbled across it completely by accident on the internet. And uh, I went into a studio in Port Melbourne, here in Melbourne, uh, a studio called Mike Sound. And I walked in, I knew Mike Slater was a techie guy. He was always looking for something new. And I said to him, I've just seen this new thing. It's called um, Source Connect. And he moved away from his computer screen. <laughs> there was there was your site on his screen. He goes, I'm checking it out right now. So we actually were probably really early in the piece. We bought the uh, Source Connect. And uh, we actually did some testing with each other to see how it worked. And uh, we were both very happy with it. And that was many years ago. Sure. And, and Australia actually had a lot of um, uptake on it early on because... There's a fair amount of film work that gets done in Australia as well. And the ISDN connections internationally are extremely expensive. So um, a lot of the early use was really cutting costs down on on ISDN sessions that were being used for ADR um, internationally. Um, And I remember uh, there was a great engineer, I think his name was Simon Leadley, and I'm probably going to get the studio wrong, but I believe it was either Fox Studios or Trackdown Studios. Trackdown. One of those studios. Trackdown, and um, he was using it on some some major films. I think like Happy Feet and things like that. And and he was using it with a with another studio in L.A. Um, called Buzzies. And so that was another kind of early um, use was just to cut down on costs. You know, even though ISDN was an option, it was like, would you like to spend six hundred dollars today on a phone bill or zero? Or, or whatever the budget was. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about users, um, this podcast goes out to, you know, sort of a voiceover talent who have their own home studios. Are you finding more and more that people are beginning to sort of drop their ISDN lines and, and pick up this sort of service? Absolutely. It's definitely happening a lot. And, and a big reason for that is, you know, like, like I said, the phone companies are moving the prices up. They're not allowing new lines to be installed. Mm. Um, so they're doing all kinds of things like that. And the other thing is that, um, you know, people are actually starting to find that in many ways, it's a better way to work. Mm. Um, it's mobile. ISDN is very not mobile. (laughs) It is when it's working properly and the internet has now gotten to a point where it really does work properly. It's higher quality. Mm. Um, you know, like to separate dropouts and internet glitches from the actual quality of the codec, you know, we're, we're able to push much higher bandwidth than just 128k. Um, so ISDN is kind of limited to that 128K. I remember I was doing um, an ADR session and uh, we were using Source Connect. And actually what happened is the far end studios, their, um, their, their internet went down. 
in the middle of the connection and we had to switch back over to ISDN. And so at that point we couldn't use the built-in syncing feature that's in, in source connect. Mm. And you had to, use, we had to use only one channel for the voice and one channel for time code. And immediately my clients were like, why does it sound like crap? Yeah. And I was like, well, that's 64 K ISDN because the other 64 K is being used for time code. Yeah. And so, so there's, there's a lot of workflow advantages to it. Um, you know, on the pro side, you can have conferenced connections. It can control the transports for ADR. Um, it has a whole system that probably doesn't get used as much as it should called the queue manager, which tracks all the recordings and then can not just fix any dropouts if they do occur, but it can replace all the recordings and any edits done of those recordings with the uncompressed audio directly off the microphone from the source side. And then, you know, there's upper versions of Source Connect. There's one called Pro X that can do surround sound. So that gets used for remote mixing situations where, you know, someone's mixing a, a, a movie maybe in California and, and the producer is in New York and they want to sit in on the mix in real time. And, and so they can stream 5.1 and 7.1 with picture sync right across the Internet, which is basically you can't do that with ISDN. And if you can, it's going to take a whole lot of ISDN lines and a big pain, painful setup. So yeah. it's just... It's got many workflow advantages beyond just being cost-effective. Mm. And, of course, one of the really cool features of Source Connect is the bridging service, right? Right. So, so bridging has been always a, a legacy um, thing that it ties back into the you know, legacy ISDN network, and it's provided voice talent with the ability to be completely mobile. So early on, we had a, a voice actor named Joe Cipriano who... Um, if I'm right, he did a bridge from a cruise ship in the Mediterranean <laughs> through Source Connect to an ISDN box. And I, I, if I remember right, the latency was insane. <laughs> like yeah. Two seconds or something because yeah, yeah. the cruise ship used like satellite internet. But yeah, so bridging allows n- not just for voice talent who don't have ISDN, but those who do have ISDN who just don't want to be chained to their ISDN box and they do want to take a vacation. I can hear AP's mind ticking over as we speak. Where can I go now? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I, I know Joe and I've, I've actually seen him working from the back of a car on the side of a freeway. Yes, he did that too. He's, he's been very pioneering and, and he's great. But yes, he's, I, mean, I remember, I mean, he's so busy and he's on it all the time. Um, he was a guest speaker at the conference, and I remember he basically showed up at the hotel, and everyone's in the lobby saying, hey, how are you, this and that. He's like, I'm doing really well. I have to go up to my room and set up because I have a session in 10 minutes. And like his laptop and his Wi-Fi modem and Source Connect, and boom, he's like, next on Fox <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. you know. And he, yeah, he's extremely busy, and he, he really embraced it because he was, he, I mean, he was one of the first users. I think I connected with him, and before we put a sample rate converter into Source Connect, when I first connected with him, he sounded really low because I, I forget what the mismatch was. He was at 44.1 and I was at 48. And I remember going, hmm, we'll need to do a sample rate conversion automatically <laughs> for those people who aren't at the same sample rates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We spoke with Nick Tate and he talked about how busy Don LaFontaine was driving around in his limo all over LA doing, you know, movie promos. But how much different would his life have been had he had Source Connect? I mean, he he, he did end up uh, using Source Connect at the end. And um, he, there's a, uh, a really nice um, sort of philanthropic studio for training voice actors and whatnot. And they have Source Connect over there. They actually were using his old copy plus a couple of donated copies. And so he he, he definitely ended up using it towards the end in, in his home. But yeah, he, he was... I mean, he's a legend. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Now, talking about home studios, because, of course, now we have Source Connect, which makes working from home much easier. The issue, of course, is what is a home studio? And uh, no one really has the definitive concept of what it is. I think it's one that's effective for recording. I mean, if you don't have a whole bunch of kids in the house and you're not living in a city, you can probably get away with just properly treating a corner of your room like, you know, getting a good door and maybe making it fairly soundproof, but I don't think you have to go to the extent of floating floors or even necessarily getting a booth if you can control the echoes in a room. To me, a good studio is one that's effective. It's, you know, a good mic and 
these days, it's amazing that the difference in microphones compared to the cost of those microphones is, is staggering. So you can start to approach some pretty effective um, setups at really low pricing, you know, um, a good stereo interface that lets you get your microphone in, a pair of headphones, a treated corner, a computer, you know, as, as long as you have everything placed well so that your computer is not making noise and getting into your microphone and you can you can definitely do some damage at home. It's interesting because I was thinking about this uh, before because you still work as an audio engineer. Is that correct? I do, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, what I was getting to is uh, I, I've seen a few, you know, sort of forums and chats and stuff about uh, working from home or working in the studio. And one of the things I saw the other day was someone talking about EQing. And the response from one of the other engineers was, why are you EQing so early? And in fact, why are you EQing at all? If you've got a good microphone, a good room, and you place the microphone properly, and a good preamp, and then a bit of compression, you shouldn't really need to EQ at all. It should be left alone. How would you like it to be delivered? Microphone, preamp, maybe a high-pass filter, and that's it. No compressor, no EQ. Because anything you can do, I can do. But if you do it, then I'm tied. So just get your levels right. And and that's the other thing. It's like, don't worry about, like, with 24-bit, you, you, you can be fairly conservative with your level and still keep your noise floor, you know, of the converter in a nice place. Because, you know, the reality is, you know, certainly in theory, you could record at 24-bit at minus 48 decibels on the meter. And at that point, you would be at the same resolution as 16-bit. So you don't have to worry about, you know, hitting zero certainly or even minus six you can hang out at minus 10 minus six that's a nice nominal level and um i would say don't touch it you know at the most a high pass filter um but certainly don't compress it and there's no need to eq it because that's all stuff that the engineer can decide later at what they need for that particular spot the only place i see where processing becomes necessary is sometimes with the promo actors um those things are moving so fast, and sometimes they're not really even going through the hands of a mixer. Sometimes it's like the Avid editor puts that voice in there and sends it out, and that's the mix is just coming right off of you know Media Composer or Final Cut. And and so in those situations, a lot of those promo uh, voice talents do say, like, I need this compressor and I need this EQ because they need it processed already. Yeah. Um, but I would say that's maybe the only industry... And and maybe the only other one is like, you know, a remote contribution from a radio talent where, again, things are moving fast and the guy just needs to push the fader up and say, here's my guest, let's talk. But if it's a spot, if it's a ADR, um, anything that's going to be thoughtfully mixed later, don't touch it. No, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Let me throw this in the mix just quickly. Uh, I finished off a, a video yesterday for a client of mine. Um, now, it was a three-minute video uh, and it was voiceover and, and, and SOT, so basically, you know, people talking to camera. Now, the original voiceover we recorded here in the studio a couple of weeks ago, so they could take it away and edit to it. And the deadline was yesterday afternoon, and the, the final cut went to client for approval yesterday morning and came back, oh, we need this voiceover changed. So couldn't get the voice. So long story short, couldn't get the voiceover back in here to the studio. And the producer said, "Oh, you've got a home studio. Fantastic! Just drop down this line and send it to us, and we'll stick it in." I can't tell you the difference in quality between the two. The, the the original recording here in the studio, nice and clean, everything there. What came back from his home studio was thin, crappy, awful, just terrible. Did everything I could to save it. Get send it back to the client. Get the phone call yesterday afternoon. Oh. The two voiceovers sound really different. One's really thin. What's what's going on? What have you done? <laughs> it's like I haven't done anything, guys. You you know, you, you give me a shit recording, I've, I'm stuck with a shit recording. You know, it's just the yeah. way it is. Yeah, there there there's that problem, and that's sort of every audio engineer's nightmare. Yeah, you know, and and I, I see this sometimes. It's like, oh, we we've booked a voice talent, and well, he's got a home studio, and sometimes producers who who have the budget, they're like, you know what. Just tell the guy to go to this studio. Like, what city does yeah. he live in? I know a good studio in that city. Just tell him to go there. Because things are moving fast, and they don't want to have any um, surprises. And and so, if there's if it's in the budget to pay a studio $250 for the session, and a, you know, a little bit of gas for the guy to drive down there, that is way less stress on the on the production side mm -hmm. of things if, if they don't have to worry about, what am I going to run into? 
So I do see that. But that being said, there are plenty of voice talent who have their stuff together. Oh, absolutely. You know, I agree. They, they invest a lot yep. of money, you know? Yep, absolutely. But, you know, you, you have that experience, and then that's in the back of your head, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, I just don't even want to have that ever happen again. Send them yep. to a studio. Yep. Yeah, you know? I, I actually was sitting there thinking Source Connect sort of could have saved my ass because if we had it connected directly to record the pickup, it would have been, oh, listen, this is never going to work. Get out of there. Go find a studio. Right. Or 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 you could have been like, hey, you know what? You, you need to get way closer yeah, to your or microphone. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and maybe we can make right. it work. Yeah. Exactly. But the trouble is, probably there's probably some hideous setup that the, that person yeah. has. That's the angle I'm trying to get at is that, you know, what is the definition of what we should perceive mm-hmm. as a quality home studio because if if you say you're a professional voiceover with a, a a home studio then to be a professional your home studio should also be of quality part of it is also knowing your setup and so like like here's a here's a tough tough lesson um essentially a story i heard they recorded a spot they hire the talent the guy had his pro tools system to record himself locally but for some reason, his Pro Tools system couldn't record himself locally. He was having troubles with his hard drive. He kept on getting um, 9032 errors with his Pro Tools system. Like, so he couldn't record. But he saw his microphone. His microphone was going into Pro Tools nice and strong. And on his codec, in his computer, he saw his voice going into there. But he didn't realize that the codec was set to receive the laptop microphone, not the microphone hooked up to his Mbox. And so somehow or another, they, they end up with, well, we, we have to go, and if, if you're recording a backup, great, and the backup didn't work because Pro Tools failed, and the remote recording was screwed up because the guy didn't have the proper input going into his codec. Yeah, I've done that myself, yeah. actually. And, and, and here's, here's, here's the basic rub. It's like, um, I, I think there's two edges to this, which is if you're the voice talent and you're going to have a home studio, you basically are taking on some level of the task of being the engineer, and you have to mm. embrace that. Um, and doesn't mean that you have to be the end-all engineer, but you do have to be able to do some level of engineering and make things, make sure things are correct. And the other thing is that, well, if you're the voice talent and you have a home studio, you're investing in all that equipment. And that is, in a sense, above and beyond your talents as a voice actor. And maybe there should be a fee for providing that and effectively, in a sense, saving your client that money from having to send you to a studio anyways. And, and, and little simple things, you know, it's like, you know, like a common thing when you record a voice talent at home is, okay, you're recording them and then, oh, I missed that. I didn't, I, you said that perfectly, but I wasn't rolling. Can you send that back to me? And maybe the voice talent is actually recording a backup, but usually they're not able to figure out how to send it back down the line. They're not routed to like, oh yeah, here's a playback, boom, which would be a very standard thing if they were at a ta- at a studio. Like, oh yeah, you need playback on that one? Here's take five, play it back. You got that? Great. Let's keep on rolling. And those kinds of things are things that would be nice if, if voice talent became more fluid with those types of things that can come up in a session, which would kind of, you know, on some, for, for some engineers, they would consider that, well, you know, if you're taking on this job of being the studio, here's some of the things that can be needed in a session. Mm. Now you're scaring me. <laughs> I'm just, I have expectations. Yeah, look, I think no, you're right. You I think, great expectations. I think you've got, if you do take on that role, you've at least got to take on the role of quality control, even if you can't you know, do playback and all that sort of stuff. You've still got to have a, an ability to listen for you know, errors or whatever that may be occurring that may not necessarily be picked up at the other end, don't you think? Uh, you, know, I, you know, like a, a, a you know, thin, crappy sound yeah. or you know, whatever. It's, it's that old saying, live by the sword, die yeah. by the sword. You know, it's like if you have that studio, it could be your greatest asset, but it can also be a source of great embarrassment if not handled properly. Correct. <laughs> yes. You're not, ha- you're not pointing the finger at me, are you, Robert? I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we won't go into it, folks, but AP, buy a Mac. <laughs> uh, I do have a Mac. <clears throat> and it stops the door slamming. No, I do have Macs. I have laptops, but I use a PC for yeah. recording. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's just Windows being really finicky. I mean, about we we were trying to download an older version of Chrome and... We found the download for the older version of Chrome, and then Chrome, you install it, and 
the Windows machine decides just to update yeah. it immediately. I don't care what software. We couldn't install the old Yeah, I don't care what Chrome. software you yeah. want to load up. I'm going to load this one up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, Hal. <laughs> so, listen, let me throw, let me throw a question uh, at you, Robert. Yes, you've, um, you've been in business since 2004. So if anyone out there wants to find you, source-elements.com is a place to go, right? What is, exactly. uh, out of all the software that, that's up there that we can find, what's the one piece of software that's really going to sort of make my home studio crank? Wow. There's a, there's a couple. I mean, specifically from the voice talents mm-hmm. point of view? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think Source Nexus is, is an excellent, very flexible tool. Um, it lets you patch applications between each other and do things that would normally require you know, an external mixer and a bunch of audio cables. So that's a very cool tool. I think source zip is very interesting. Um, I, I think that, that you guys were the other day talking about something where you needed to transfer a file. And the nice thing about that is it can make transferring a file extremely fast because it can compress it, um, but keep it lossless and still knock it down in half. And even though internet speeds are really up these days, still, you know, if you're talking about a, a big session, you have a gigabit or a gigabyte of audio to transfer to somebody and you can knock that down to 500 megs, you've knocked down your, your upload download time mm. by half. So source zip is pretty interesting, um, very useful for that type of purpose. And, you know, it's like $50. So it's a, just a good utility, you know, like source connect is the main is, is our flagship product, as we say. And then source live is, is a pretty strong second contender for our flagship product. But there's a lot of little utilities. I, you know, I put Nexus in that in that zone, and um, source uh, the the Talkback application. Source Talkback is is great. You know, even if you're a, a a voice talent and you're you might have your microphone in your booth, but you also have a pair of speakers hooked up outside your your booth, and you want to talk to somebody. And a common situation is like, okay, let me go in my control room. Can you still hear me? And you're trying to yell to somebody through your mic through your booth mm. microphone essentially Are you when you're pointing the finger at me again robert <laughs> <laughs> it's get andrew yeah. afternoon well you opened yourself up to it mate <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know it's nice to be able to have a talkback button and some systems have it in hardware or software but have you know a talkback in your control mm. room those, those are just sort of nice and they're all little utilities that we've made that to me just kind of fill in little gaps in what's available in hardware or software and uh kind of makes the process easier and what's what's the one you're most proud of oh i'd say source connect for sure yeah so uh it's it's had a great uptake it's been used on i mean so many productions from industrial videos and interviews and radio Mm. and really high-end movies and big adr sessions i i was um i was doing a tech support session the other day and uh it was really cool because they were working on the movie trailer for the new Zoolander movie. And I'm hearing this in the background and I'm knowing like, oh, I can't even talk about this, but isn't that cool? Yeah. Like that movie is going to yeah, come yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Cool. That's, that's very <laughs> so cool. So it's, it, you know, in like the Hobbit and it's been used on so many wow. cool things and, and there's such a huge range and, and it's given me the opportunity to meet so many people from around the world. Um, you know, you guys included. So it's like, that's definitely the one I'm the most proud of. I'm going to change the questioning just slightly because as you're an audio engineer and it's probably a hard question to answer, but what is your, because we've talked about this before, what is your favorite combination of microphone and preamp? Yeah, there is. So the 416 is excellent at providing a voice that just cuts through a mix. It's almost like it has this distortion to it. it you know, it pro- probably from an audiophile point of view, it's not really the greatest, but it puts just an edge on the voice it has a certain focus to it that is great because it's one of those mics that doesn't actually need a lot of EQ, um, and it picks up a great mid-range and just slices through a, a big mix. And um, that's probably – it's yeah, it's 416. As far as preamps go, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, I've, 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 been, I've enjoyed using the, um, the, the mic pre's from Millennia. Um, I, I personally own a couple of – they're rather obscure, but they're really nice uh, mic preamps from um, Crookwood, who's um, a kind of a boutique manufacturer in, in England. And then John Hardy makes an extremely great mic preamp, very fast, a bright top end to it. Um, and like a lot of those things start to come down to what's your voice character and what do you need? Something warmer, you know, the, the, 
the John Hardy isn't necessarily going to be something that is warm, um, but it's going to be extremely accurate. If, if anything, maybe its fault will be like every little spit mouth noise will be picked up. But those those are three you know solid state mic preamps that I really like a lot. You know, when when you get into the music stuff, then you start to look for a lot more color and not something that's necessarily you know trying to just slice through the mix and and make your job easier in that way. But um, you know, you're looking for something that adds a certain depth to the recording. The, so that's a whole different game. And those become more like paint brushes. And what do I want? This fat brush, this skinny thin line brush. So, um, but the 416 is a great one. Um, some other really good ones to consider are, um, you know, the the U87s, a standby. It's it's a little bit bigger, fatter sounding mic. Um, so the, the the top end isn't going to quite be there as much, but it's got a nice body to it for sure. You often see, you know, 414s and things like that in studios, and a 414 is essentially never going to let anybody down. It's probably on the brighter side, but it still has a good depth to the low end and a very standard mic. You know, those 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 three right there is like standard and can't go wrong with them. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever record with tube mics on tube preamps, like the double tube? Like right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all the time, and I'm I've done shootouts with two thousand dollar mics versus one hundred fifty dollar mics. And it's really sometimes hard to tell the difference. Um, a really good example of this is, um, and this gets more on the music side, but so there's the Neumann KM184, which is a great small diaphragm condenser mic for, uh, you know, great for drum overheads and acoustic instruments and orchestra recordings. And then there's these Octava, I think they're MC12s or MC012, same type of microphone, small diaphragm. The cardioid version of those things are really hard to tell apart you know the there's there's probably a six decibel noise floor difference but if you're recording something that's already pretty loud and noise floor isn't your issue you know you're comparing a i forget what the price point of a of a came 184 is but it's easily like you know approaching a thousand dollars to a microphone that's you know 150 bucks and the performance difference is not what the price difference is and so it's it's interesting you can definitely get away with using um you know, if if you know what you're doing, certainly you can get a great recording off of a not very expensive setup. Now, mm. you uh, you also run the support for um, Source Elements, is that correct? I'm kind of the pinch hitter support, so um, I, I get called in when it's uh, when it tends to get to be more you know Pro Tools and like like so- sometimes there's you know um, some guys on a on a movie stage and. You know, some of these guys have been doing this for 30 years and they can just talk circles around some people <laughs> and they have huge setups that, that, you know, it's like you have to be in this industry for a long time to have had to deal with setups like that, you know, like multi-operator Pro Tools systems and things like that. So I'll, I'll get involved with those. If things get backlogged, I'll be able to jump in. Um, certainly not mainline support, but certainly help out. We try, we pride ourselves on providing excellent support. So as much as possible, if there's a need. Yeah, so uh, so the question I was going to throw at you was, um, you know, you and I both being professionals, we we're both running Pro Tools rigs, but in in home studios out there, I was wondering if you if you were sort of seeing a trend towards any other sort of software or where be heading in terms of their doors. So I, I think the first thing a home studio actor needs to decide is whether or not they're going to have to edit or if they're just capturing voice and sending files off. Because if they're just capturing voice and sending files off. Really, all they need is something like you know Twisted Wave, or for that matter, practically QuickTime to yeah. record themselves, and there's your file. You know, um, you don't really need anything. If you're getting into more complex setups, things like where um, you're either doing a patch, but you also have to have clients on a phone patch at the same time, um, or you're needing to provide edits, or in a session where you need to provide you know playback to your hookup, and so you need certain routing capabilities. Um, that's when you do get into a DAW or a software that definitely has a mixer involved and not just a, a two-track, you know, wave recording editing mm-hmm. software. So at that point, you know, I, I think that they need to decide what works for their price point and what works for their um, their knowledge base. And there's a number of ones that are pretty popular in the voiceover world. Um, I think Adobe Audition is one that pops up mm-hmm. a lot. And I think that kind of came in a lot from the radio industry. Um, and also maybe because its heritage was as cool at it pro, which was possibly initially a free application. My 
personal opinion is that there's this stigma that Pro Tools is really confusing and overkill and I don't need all that. And my personal opinion is that I find Adobe Audition much more confusing than Pro Tools. (laughs) It's easy for me to say that because I've been using Pro Tools for too long. I don't want to say how long, but since version two. But I, I do find that as I've had to troubleshoot and work with other packages, um, I find them to be much more limiting, and I do actually like Pro Tools a lot. There's there's a lot of strong contenders in there, but you know, even like you know, from Australia, Fairlight's an excellent recording software, and if if you were doing voice editing all day long, that's an amazing editing software, um, extremely capable, also extremely expensive. So it's not going to be for everybody. But I think Pro Tools actually is not. I think it kind of gets a bad rap for being overly complicated, and I find it actually to be as good or better than all the rest, even though they're, you know. Yeah. Like- well, I think that's the charm of Pro Tools, though, isn't it? Is Pro Tools can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. I mean, you can have, like I have, a number of different templates for different, you know, recording scenarios or different formats that you're mixing for, or you can have a simple mic in, you know, bus out, Way we go, yeah. Set up. I, I, I do like that aspect of Pro Tools, which is it's also I, I find it's like with Photoshop, where you get two guys who run Photoshop, and they've be, both been using Photoshop for twenty years, and they can both be like, "Well, what about this?" And the other guy's like, "I didn't even know about that." And Pro Tools has that depth to it. Yeah, like there is just so much you can do in Pro Tools, and if you're a guy who's doing MIDI stuff, there's like all this stuff that I barely pay attention to, and I know only on the surface. Whereas Conversely, like on the post-production side, there's all kinds of stuff that I know about Pro Tools that maybe a guy doing music doesn't know as much. And so it's a very deep program. But the the beauty of it, to be honest, is like there's two windows. There's an editor and a mixer, and that's it. And there's it doesn't have this confusion of so many windows and different things. And um, and I find that's what happens with a lot of the other software packages. Is they I find them to be much more confusing than Pro Tools. But again, like I said, I've been sitting with Pro Tools for so long that it's really easy for me to say it's easy because <laughs> it is easy to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I run Audition. It sits on my Mac only because if, I, if I'm out somewhere and I need to, um, to open up a mix or something that I've done for a, a client earlier, like, and I mean, just a stereo mix to, to listen or to resend or, you know, to whatever, um, I have it sitting there. But I, I, I would hate to have to mix on it on a daily basis basis i I do find it overly complicated yeah it's got a lot of windows it's got that separate edit window compared to the track multi-track window and then it has this rack for your plugins and stuff but do you know the one that's really impressive is reaper i don't know if you've played with that at all no oh my gosh it's um you know i i think for the consumer version they want like 40 dollars for it and you know, for the professional version, which is still the same version, they just try to have everyone be honest about what are you using this for? I mean, it might be $250. And it has features that Pro Tools has yet to implement. It has features that Pro Tools only implemented this year in Pro Tools 12 that Reaper's had forever. You know, a good example is like, if you have a whole multi-track mix, and this is more of a music feature, but if you have a whole multi-track mix with Reaper, for the longest time, you could just say, give me separate flattened splits of every track. That just that feature just arrived in Pro Tools 12. Another example of something that Reaper can do that still Pro Tools can't do, uh, at least not with bussing it through an aux track to another track, is you can take a whole plugin chain and then when you enable the track to record in Reaper, you can decide if you're going to record the input or the output of that plugin chain. So you can basically record a processed signal wow. right on one track. And it's got all these things that it can do that it's insane for a $40 application. Um, and it's a little bit daunting. Again, it's, you know, um, it, it probably looks scary to some people, but if you dig into it, it's, um, you know, there's software packages that cost $1,000 that do the same thing as what Reaper does for, for peanuts. Well, if the Reaper was at my door, I would be scared. That was a tech, techie game. Well, it's kind of interesting, though, with Pro Tools. Yeah. It was a techie game. <laughs> I was just going to say, though, with Pro Tools moving to the, uh, to the, you know, to the inverted commas rental model, really, which is what they're doing, wanting a, a yearly subscription fee, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's interesting with the, the other options that are out there, isn't it? It is. I, I see the whole industry moving this way, and even Source Elements has been pushed this way. I, I, I understand it completely from the company's point of view it's like you know there's a big need for these companies to have reoccurring revenue 
and and that and you know even source elements included it's it's hard to run a business model based on one time sales um but that being said from the consumer's point of view i don't get it i don't i don't understand why anybody I mean, unless you plan on using the software for a month and then you're done with it. But as soon as you get into an extended use of it, it just seems to me that it's a good way to pay more for it. I think I think you're right. I think there is some confusion out there because, I mean, even me as a user, I look at my Pro Tools and I think, well, hang on, I've paid whatever I've paid for my software. You know, let, let's use let's use let's use Windows as an example, just for the, for the sake of an argument, something that everybody understands. I, I download Windows 10. I pay for it. I put it on my machine, except now because I've had it for a year, you want me to cough up again and again and again and again. And I think, well, I completely agree. I don't have to pay pay per use. I think sort of I think you you pay for your software, and 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 that's and that's something that's like you know I I took a call from from a, a user the other day, and and they had Source Connect three and you know the call was basically like. I, I don't know. Do I need to upgrade? And I got a session coming up in 20 minutes and what do I do? And, and I was like, well, launch it <laughs> and see what happens. And here we go. Yeah. And, and the yeah. guy was like on Suck Windows and 10. Too. And so what happens a lot is people upgrade their system without thinking about all the residual effects of upgrading their system. And luckily it, yeah. it just, it worked. And, and it was, I was, I was actually kind of amazed because it's like that there's a big generational gap between source connect three O, which was basically designed for Windows XP and then Windows 10. There's a huge gap in there and it, and it worked. And so the, the, the thing is like, all right, well, you don't need to upgrade. It works for you. Go do your session. And, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I think that from the consumer's point of view, th- those people who, who get upset when they're like, oh, I can't believe I have to pay for an upgrade. This is ridiculous. Well, it's like, no, you upgraded something about your computer that stopped it from working. You know, like um, if you've changed something about your setup that causes the software that you have to not work anymore and you need a, an upgrade for that, that's perfectly reasonable for the software company to say, hey, there's an update fee for that new version. If it's not broken, don't change it. You know, it's like I know that Apple is kind of like, hey, you need to update to Yosemite. And then like a week later, you need to update to El Capitan. <laughs> it's like, is there a yeah. reason? Because if you don't need to, don't right. do it. Exactly. You know, and if, if, if subscribing to something gives you a certain level of comfort because you know you're always going to have the latest version, you know you're always going to have support, you know you're never going to possibly lose your license because it's always a renewed license. Yep. You know, there are certain... I guess comforting things about running a subscription model, um, a certain clarity in that, but it's not economically, <laughs> from the consumer's point of view, the the best yeah. way to do it. Yeah. I don't think. Agree. Um, and that's that's just me thinking from their point of view because I I've always kind of viewed things as um, you know a user source source connect was made you know because it was something that I wanted as a user yeah. essentially. Yeah. I have at my feet a Mac seventy one hundred. Wow. <laughs> with my favorite, yeah, with my favorite reverb card, which is a Lexicon Nuverb. It's like a Lexicon 300 on a Nubus card. Huh? And you know what? It's a great sounding reverb, and I love it, and I use it. Yeah. Um, and another example is I've got a remote recording rig I use for, like, you know, stereo recording. I'll go to a concert. It's a PowerBook G4 <laughs> with like a Motu um, 828 interface. Yeah. You know, it's like this, boom, two microphones, go record stereo, or if I need, it can record a couple of other tracks. Same thing. It just, the thing's like a tank. It keeps on running. Does and it does, it it's like do. running leopard. It does what I need it to do. And and that way, you know, and I feel better about it too, because like sometimes I'm taking that thing on the road and, you know, it gets locked in my car and someone busts the window open and takes it. It's like, Damn it! Yeah. You took my two hundred dollar Macintosh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if you had to keep paying two hundred dollars a year to have it, though. You know that that's that's getting back yeah, to the no, Pro Tools thing. That's yeah. the whole thing that drives me nuts. You know. Anyway, there you go. That's my that's the yeah, thing I, in my no, bonnet. I, I I agree, and you know, I, and I it's it's kind of funny me sitting here with a software company that does offer rentals, but in all honesty, mm. it's one of the reasons we offer rentals is because customers are like. We want rentals. Yeah. Give us rentals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> here you go. Source yeah. Connect Standard's available for $35 a month if that's what you really, really, really want. But correct me if I'm wrong. If I rent your software, I'm actually contribute towards paying it off. Is that right? Source Connect Pro has a rent-to-own option. Yeah. 
But Source Connect standard is just a, a straight rent. You know, it's because c- the pro versions, you know, like two hundred fifty dollars for seven days, whereas the other ones effectively thirty five dollars for the whole month. Right. So and 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 there is that 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 flip side of it, which is you know, in all honesty, the companies do need that reoccurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that is a, a need because as much as you know, it's like the users want us to be there to make the the next version of the software when they need that next version. And so it's very hard to develop software without any funding, trying to pay it all off after you make it and then try to sell it. Whereas if you have these constant rental incomes coming in, you have funds to push that product forward in a more constant velocity Mm. than these bursts of like, okay, can we gear up and can we make it to another push of development and then we did it. Okay, now let's change our minds over to sales and really push that thing that we just sold. And so there, there becomes a better um, – it, it is a kind of symbiotic relationship with the customers and the software company and that you can create a better flow of uh, development that's more constant. Now, I think we should probably um, get back to work and earn some money. Yes. <laughs> We all we all in agreement with that. I think so. Yeah, no one rents my production yeah. skills, unfortunately. <laughs> no, they do do not. Um, but it's been great talking to you, Robert, and uh, we really appreciate your time. And um, yeah. it's been an eye opener for all of us, I think, uh, mm. on both sides of the glass. Definitely, very cool. Well, well, you know, I, I appreciate you guys inviting me, and um, it's, it is an honor as well. We'll get you back on the show. I think we should. I think for there's sure. more to talk for about. Sure. 2016. Yeah. Oh, there's tons. We could go on for hours. Absolutely. I can geek out. It's, there's no doubt. <laughs> yes. now, the other yes. impo- this is quite true. <laughs> the other important thing to say, AP, is Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. So happy Holidays, yeah. Do you say Merry Christmas, Robert, or do you say Happy Holidays? Politically correct, I think you're doing Happy Holidays, but Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and... You know, Happy Hanukkah and all those others that I can't even name. Well, in 2016, Donald Trump, Donald Trump may be your new president, so we won't worry about being PC. (laughs) Uh, Well, you've got the Trump Tower in Chicago, haven't you? Yeah, it's it's a beautiful building, actually. You know, I I think in the end, it really did add to the Chicago skyline and it's it's nicely done. Um, But yeah. uh. (laughs) Well, as I said, the headline, if he does become president, should be. Toop de Gras. <laughs> <laughs> On that I, note, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I will refrain from. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think we should sign off. <laughs> if it's I getting that desperate. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> we should do something Christmasy too. Do we, do we want to end with a song, Robert? Yeah, I think we should, mate. I'm uh, not asking you to uh, sing, by the way. No, no, I wasn't going to sing. But, you know, I reckon the one we should play in tribute to uh, an er- interview from earlier this year is the Pogues, don't you? I think you're right. Uh, our mate Chris Dickey was the engineer on the uh, recording of this. Mm. Uh, the Pogues, Christmas in New York. Merry Christmas. See Happy you Happy holidays. Year. See you in 2016. It was Christmas Eve, babe In the drunk tank An old man said to me Won't see another one And then he sang a song The rare old mountain dew I turned my face away Dreamed about you God, I'm the lucky one Came in late to one I've got a feeling This year's for me and you So happy Christmas I love you, baby I can see a better time When all our dreams come true You promised me, promised
queen of New York City When, when the band finished playing They held up for more Sinatra was swinging All the drums they were singing We kissed on a corner Then danced through the night The boys of the NYPD choir Were singing Go away play And the bells were ringing out For Christmas Day Dreams around you 